Right, we are back. Uh, Maury Eskenazi, Shannon O'Kelly. We are going to go to the phones with our next guest. Joining us is Elizabeth Eli Pollard, Executive Director of the World Parkinson Coalition. Eli, it's weird yeah. for me to say, Eli, thanks for coming on with us. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. I might be the only female uh, Eli in the whole city of New York. I know. You know what? I had to read this like four times to make sure I didn't screw it up. So, uh, you got it. Thanks so much. So um, the uh, what is the World Parkinson Coalition? What is that? And it's uh, the, the fourth World Parkinson Congress is coming up, right? Right. And so the organization is the coalition. And we're a small group with a very uh, small nonprofit organization with a big mission to design and host these triennial World Parkinson Congresses. This is the fourth one. It will be in Portland, Oregon, from September 20th to 23rd. And it's a Congress that basically brings together people touched by Parkinson's disease from all over the world. So it could be a scientist, a clinician, a person living with Parkinson's, a nurse, a speech pathologist, whoever it is that's either working to cure it or treat it, or living with it, is invited to participate in the World Parkinson Congress. Well, the, the, this Parkinson's uh, World Parkinson's Congress in Portland. What's unique about this? You just described it. It's really um, physicians, researchers, people that are affected by the disease, caretakers, family members. I mean, this is a collaborative effort to get everybody together, which is unique um, in medicine yeah. in a way. So, tell us about how how this started, the genesis of this whole coalition. Yeah, it is actually very unique, and I know there are some disease areas that do bring patients into the dialogue and discourse, but we, um, we don't just bring them. We engage people who live with Parkinson's in ways that really don't happen in a lot of disease areas. We see that people with Parkinson's need to be at the center of everything, and not just uh, for treatments, but also in discussion and dialogue about why even we're working on, why even focus on this disease, what we're looking at. And so a number of years ago, our founder, a very well-recognized Parkinson's doctor, Dr. Stanley Fawn, he um, worked with some people in the community and said, we need to come up with a way for the community to get out of their silos and for researchers to stop just hanging out with researchers and for people with Parkinson's to have a seat at the table and really just kind of cross-pollinate and interdigitate the community because that's the best way to find, um, you know, new ideas and, and novel novel. Um, you know, research projects. And it was interesting. It was the very first World Congress in 2006, which was in Washington, D.C., back in 2006. We did see a lot of um, the impact of bringing people with Parkinson's into this high-level scientific meeting. We had researchers who would make comments like, uh, this is the first time I've ever met a patient. Mm. And we were blown away by that, because how can you be researching a disease and not know what it looks like in day-to-day living of somebody with it. And also, a lot of people with Parkinson's, you know, they meet their doctors and their healthcare providers, but they don't get to meet the researchers who are trying to cure their disease. It's a whole member of their team that they never get to meet. So it's pretty inspirational. And what we found is a lot of researchers years ago used to make decisions on what they would research based on their own sort of interest. And they never even asked the patients, you know, do you care about this issue? Should I be researching this issue? Yeah, <laughs> what right. should I be researching? Right. So now patients help steer those decisions, which makes it much more meaningful for everybody. That's really interesting. Uh, uh, what, what kind of, uh, what did the researchers get from the patients? I mean, was there anything that, uh, that they gave them that helped? Well, hugely. I mean, I think when I started, this was back in, in mid-2000, in 2004 was when I started, back at that time, 
there was just some serious discussion going into and research being done on what we call as non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's. A lot of people, when they think about Parkinson's disease, they think about certain physical attributes like a tremor in a hand or in an arm, a tremor in a foot. They might think of someone who walks with a rigid sort of walk or maybe has balance challenges. These are sort of the outward symptoms. We call them motor symptoms. But there was this whole world of things going on that they now call non-motor symptoms. So people dealing with depression, mm-hmm. um, gastrointestinal problems, loss of sense of smell, um, small handwriting, uh, sleep disorder, all these things that people with Parkinson's and pain and fatigue. And people with Parkinson's would say, I'm really feeling fatigue or I'm feeling pain. And the doctors back in the day would say, well, you're, you're just getting older. So this is normal, mm-hmm. right? And pain right. is not part of Parkinson's. It must be something else. So after over and over again, patients saying over and over again, I'm really having problems sleeping. I don't think it's just the aging process. I think Parkinson's is doing it. You ask a, per- people with par- a lot of people with Parkinson's will say, I have a sleep disorder with Parkinson's. Like they, they, define, you know, they'll chal- they, they sort of have challenged the way doctors look at the disease. And so, um, you know, even 10 or 12 years ago, a lot of things weren't really looked at. And I remember once a young researcher in the First World Congress stood up and gave a great talk on his research on tremor. And a patient stood up and said, wow, thanks for your great talk on tremor. But, you know, my tremor doesn't really bother me. The fact that I can't sleep at night, that bothers me. Mm. When are you in a research sleep? And you could see the researcher like, oh, what a great idea. <laughs> light bulb, <laughs> light bulb moment, yeah. And, and you know, um, Parkinson's is one of those diseases that almost every patient is different. There's, there's, not, there's some similarities, but everybody presents different. Correct. And, and, and there is there is no significant or one test. I mean, you can't get an MRI, you can't get a CAT scan, you can't find it on a blood test. It's based on a number of different symptoms. I'm, I'm I imagine you're starting to put these symptoms kind of in categories and, and understanding all these other things that go along with the motor st- uh, stuff. That is exactly accurate what you said, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. That's why treating people with Parkinson's is so difficult. I've heard a lot of doctors say and patients say, you know. When you've seen one Parkinson's patient, you've seen one Parkinson's patient, and that's it, because they're all so unique. I think, you know, one of the really exciting areas of research is um, what they're calling the term biomarkers. Right, right. And they're, yeah, they're trying to figure out all those things I was talking about earlier, like the depression and the fatigue and loss of sense of smell. They're trying to figure out if, you know, if you go to your doctor and you say, I'm having problems with GI issues, constipation, or just whatever, something with GI tract, and I've also lost my sense of smell, and my shoulder is really stiff. Yeah. They want to tr- try and get these things together and have doctors say, okay, bells are going off because you just gave me three sort of symptoms that are early um, potential indicators for Parkinson's. If we can identify it earlier, they could potentially start treating you earlier and maybe slow the progression of the disease or maybe stop it altogether before it even advances beyond that point. So right. that's where a lot of research is going out. That's really exciting stuff. We're talking to the executive director of the World Parkinson Coalition, Eli Pollard. Uh, the big uh, conference, Congress, is going to be in Portland, Oregon later this month. I, I, can't, I can't have a discussion about Parkinson's disease without bringing up two people, Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox. Were they part of this, or, or is Michael J. Fox involved in this in any way? And what, what did Muhammad Ali mean to the World Parkinson's Congress? Well, I mean, they're both incredibly 
have had an incredible impact in the Parkinson's, you know, community, for sure. Just the fact that they talked about Parkinson's. So the Michael J. Fox Foundation, uh, Michael J. Fox did speak at our very first World Parkinson Congress in 2006. And his foundation is one of the members of the coalition. And they will, their staff and their leaders and scientists, they'll all be at the World Parkinson Congress in Portland. And Muhammad Ali, I mean, there aren't, there's not enough time to talk about yeah, yeah, the right. impact he's had. What I can say is that um, his daughter, his oldest daughter, Maymay Ali, Miriam Ali, also known as Maymay, mm-hmm. uh, she's joining us and she'll be speaking at our opening ceremony talking about, you know, Parkinson's and impact on her as a, as a daughter of someone living with it and on her family and, and the role of care partners and caregivers and family members. Because when you're diagnosed with a chronic disease, mm-hmm. not just Parkinson's, any chronic disease, it, you, you live with it for a long time. If you, many of them, you know, Parkinson's, you live 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It impacts the family in, in many ways that people who don't have that experience can't understand. And so um, Maymail is actually coming to the Congress. She'll be one of our guest you know, speakers at the opening ceremony. And it's been phenomenal sort of hearing her stories about her dad and how creative her family was in helping him solve the challenges that came up as he, after he was diagnosed and how to, how to improve his speech and how to deal with medication management. And when mm. you have problems swallowing, how then do you help mm. your loved one swallowing. So it's been interesting. Um, Muhammad Ali wasn't himself at the, one of the World Congresses. I think the impact of his work and all the people with Parkinson's he's been helping at the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center in the Southwest uh, has been phenomenal. And a yeah. lot of those patients get great care because of, um, because of him and the work he did. Yeah, you know, um, I've heard her speak, uh, Miriam Ali. She is extremely passionate about this. And one of the things that you know, she experienced and their family experienced Muhammad Ali was misdiagnosed. They just thought he was, you know, experiencing some deficits, neurological deficits from boxing, just um, being hit. Right. And he ended up being diagnosed with Parkinson's. And she emphasizes how important it is for the family to find a provider, a medical provider that specializes in movement and, and really getting into the movement systems and the effect on movement. Absolutely. They're called um, movement disorder specialists. And there are, you can find them uh, around the country. It's, sometimes it's harder than others if you live in a more rural area. But if you can get access to a movement disorder specialist, it can mean uh, a great deal. It can have a huge impact on your quality of life and your care because these people study uh, well beyond their training as neurologists just to be specific movement disorder specialists for people with Parkinson's. Is there resources? I mean, are, listen, I mean, uh, a national um, website or local or... How yeah, absolutely. If so, if you go to our website, we list our 195 coalition partners. So our website for the organization is worldpdcoalition.org. And if you go to that, worldpdcoalition.org, we have a page with all of our organizational partners from around the world. And I always tell people, they always say, where do I go for resources? And I feel like you should go to your local resource first. Because that's the one that you know can serve you locally, and then of course look at the national ones. They have really phenomenal resources online, webinars and webcasts, and you know printed stuff. But go to our website; you can find your local organization. And I encourage people to connect with their local organization, whether it's in the U.S., Canada, Japan, Australia, wherever it is. We have groups all over the world that partner with us, and it's a it's a good starting place. Uh, right to work locally first. All right, so the website, I just put it in, and I'm not correcting you at all because you're the, uh, the executive director, but it's wpc2016.org. 
That is the web. That's right. That's the URL for the Congress that's coming oh. up. Oh. So we have two, but um, you can go to that. You'll find the partners that way too, and also the organization uh, website. Has now I just totally list. dissed you, and now you're swearing at me underneath. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And you I almost called it. you. I almost called you Ellie too. So <laughs> what a punk <laughs> I am okay. for that sake. You got it because you, you basically pitched both my websites. All right, perfect. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Thanks so much for coming on with us. And uh, again, uh, we'll send people the website for more information. Appreciate all the work you guys do. It's fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Um, We also want to thank Dr. Jeff Mason and uh, Tom Lafferty and Karen Mork. Next week, I'm excited about this because this is going to be a very important show. Next week, we're talking domestic violence. For an hour. And we're going to be on from 6 to 7 next week, special time, special show. So don't miss it. Next week, Health Matters tackles domestic violence. That is it for us. I'm Maury Eskenaz. I'm Shannon O'Kelly. Stay fit and stay healthy.